Hello and welcome to this, the 52nd and final episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 16-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And for one last time, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And each week for the last year, we have brought you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We promised that we would never, ever charge for these conversations. But this week, like every other, we are looking for you to go and put your money back into Irish theatre. That's been the whole ethos behind this podcast all along, to support promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And you've had 52 weeks to get the answer to this question right. What's the easiest way to support? To go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. Maybe to a Rise production show like Fight Night at Theatre Upstairs at Lanigan's or to any other theatre show that's on around you at the moment. If for whatever reason theatre tickets are slightly outside your price range this week or this month, go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie and see if you can make a donation over there. Donations start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return for those donations. Of course, there are many ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast. Even though we're finishing up, they can always go back and listen. Um, you know, whether you tell them in person over a cup of coffee or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or even just retweeting the link on Twitter. Do go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes because although we are finishing up this week um, without giving too much away, I think it's safe to presume that this isn't the very end of any kind of audio content from Rise Productions. So even if we're not putting that content itself out on this feed, we'll certainly let you know about it through this feed. So do please go on over and subscribe on iTunes. Go back and listen to all the other episodes that we have. There's now 52 of them there. Uh, do please still go and leave us a review on iTunes or even simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system. Uh, and of course, as ever, you can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. So it's been another busy week here. Um, I was tied up with the Judge's House, the, the new performance corporation show that we were doing as part of the Stoker Festival, which is lovely to do. Just really great to be back working with Joe and Tom and the gang at Performance Corporation. It's kind of my third time working with them now. And uh, just really enjoyable. They're kind of they're the best in the business. I love their work. I've been a massive fan of theirs for many, many years. Uh, and I always love getting back to work with them. It was, uh, it was a weird old gig and kind of a, a little bit tough because it was kind of this durational site-specific piece. And it's my first time doing any of that kind of durational stuff. And uh, you're just talking long days. On, on stage as such from like 10 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the evening and uh, it's just relatively gruelling um, lovely to do though but I tell you it gave me a whole uh, even further respect for Louise Lowe and all her gang with the, the kind of work that they're making there it was, uh, it was great uh, and of course the big news this week is that Fight Night is back at Theatre Upstairs at Lanigan's we're playing there all this week until Saturday Saturday the 3rd of November we are, uh, we are finishing up there so it's lovely to be back there and, uh, and back playing in such an intimate space in, in the heart of Dublin city centre uh, it's it's beautiful the audiences have been great uh, and the show works really well in that space so uh, of course as usual we would encourage you to come down if of course you get the chance um, ticket prices are very reasonable at only a tenner and of course your lunch is included in that um, so it's a, it's a very good value afternoon out if your lunch break allows it please come on down and we would of course love to see you so look that brings us to our guest this week and uh, I had decided on day one that this is who I wanted to finish with and somewhat miraculously we've managed to get him I mean look 
to finish off a project like this, there is only one place you can go, and that's to the man that I refer to as the Vince McMahon of Irish Theatre. It is, of course, the great Fiac McAneel, uh, director of the Abbey Theatre and senator as well. Um, and Fiac is a really interesting guy who has had a, a really you know, amazing career through the arts in general and through theatre, particularly in Ireland. Uh, and a guy who is doing such a good job of putting the arts generally and theatre specifically right at the heart of, uh, of the debate about Irish culture and Irish nationality and, and who we are now and what we are and what we hope for. Um, and I think, uh, you know, really we couldn't ask for anyone better to be putting that case forward. So, as usual, we'll get straight into it. Here it is, the brilliant Fiac McAneel. The wonderful Fiac McAneel, thank you so much for joining me for the final edition, thanks be to Jesus, of the podcast. Uh, I said from the beginning that it was my intention to finish up with the Vince McMahon of Irish Theatre. So here we are, the boss man. Thank you so much for coming on board. Thank you, Angus. So let us do what we have done every week for the last 52. Talk to us about the very beginning. Why, when, where a career career in the theatre? When did it occur to you? Um... I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, m- my family background is in visual arts yeah. and in broadcasting, you know, and uh, uh, I was brought up, uh, you know, I was brought up in the kind of 70s and 80s when RTE was uh, one channel, then two channel, and they were huge. My father was director of programs in RTE, so he had a very significant role in our society, whether, one, you know, um, including one of the commissioners of Stroud City. But so I kind of, uh, I didn't think film or television was for me because right. I, I wanted to, I wanted to do go to forage my own way through you know, so I went to Trinity. Uh, did nothing before that. I did yeah some debating, but I went to Trinity, and in, in second year I directed a play uh, with for Ashdory and a Trinoid in Irish. Right. Okay. Uh, and I did on Gale by Brendan Behan. Uh, it was my one of my first uh, and you know, I did about three director. Gigs right. in, my, in my life, and Liam mainly played the uh, played the uh, the lead in it. Wow! So we had that in second year. It was great because uh, we tried to pitch it at players. Uh, Martin Murphy and, and uh, Declan Hughes were the shining, guiding uh, princes of the players at the time. <laughs> but uh, I made an application to players, and they rejected it. Right. So I said, "Oh, fuck this!" I now produce it on my own, and I did it, and I and I got the original cast from the. Um, when it premiered in the in the, in the fifties, I got them to come to the opening night. It was great, and we made a lot of money and wow. all Asquelga, and uh, we had a great time. So that was um, was the first time I went. Oh, this is something. This is something that I feel, uh, both familiar, daunting, and 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 uh, comfortable with. And know? as you look back now, do you think you got a bigger buzz out of the artistic endeavor of the directing of it, or creating the theatrical event and having those and the producing end of it maybe? Well, when I finished, you know, I, I, I directed once, one more time in 1988 in, in a Fringe Festival, a uh, Dublin Fringe Festival, which, so there was a Fringe Festival in, uh, in 1988, and right. we set up our own company called On The Bank in the old Win Stanley Shoe Factory, which then became Mother Red Caps. Right. We had, a, we, had, we had Pat Short, we had uh, 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 John Kenny, we had Holbein, and I directed there, and I remember at the time going, I wonder how the ticket sales are going. <laughs> I wonder are the posters up, and I realised that I didn't have the patience or the rigour mm. to be in the rehearsal room. So, and I remember then that fe- that that feeling when I directed on Gale in 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 nineteen eighty four. That 
you know what, this is a great idea, put it all together, now I have to kind of do it. <laughs> I actually go in for four weeks or whatever it is and actually rehearse. And I thought that, that bit I didn't have the patience for. I, I, I have a huge understanding for it because later when I became a, a, an ASM, I understood it. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of wasn't. So I knew I wanted to work in theatre. I thought I was a director. I suddenly realised it wasn't. And I didn't. it took me a long time to work out where in theatre I was going to work. I didn't know there were such things necessarily as producers or, you know, as marketeers or, you know, at the time. I knew there was people who needed to put posters up and ticket sales, but I didn't didn't really, uh, that didn't kind of emerge as an idea later. Well, I mean, I think even at the moment, uh, a lot of people would say that there are very, in the way that there's an actor training school or you can go to Trinity and do drama if you want to be a director or whatever, there are very few avenues for, a, you know, an aspiring theatre producer to kind of follow that career path isn't as clear cut at the moment even, you know, with the exception of maybe something like Rough Magic Seeds or whatever. Presumably it was even less clear cut then. How did you go about becoming a theatre producer then? Well, again, the next step I thought was I thought I could be an actor. So uh, I, I auditioned uh, and got a place in the Oscar School of Acting. Right. Uh, which uh, I, again, after a short time, knew, knew that I wasn't really that good. I, I, was, uh, there was t- <laughs> I had teachers like Vincent O'Neill, like Chloe Gibson, uh, Ray Yates, uh, a whole bunch of people, Jimmy Caffrey. And again, I loved hanging around every weekend in Mount Joy Square, like learning about the craft of acting, but knowing I was absolutely terrible at it. Right. And um, Ray Yates gave me my first kind of paid gig when I was in ASM on an Irish language tour of a company that he had at the time. Uh, and I was ASM to uh, Eamon Hunt and Gina Moxley and Molly Fogarty and Colin Heffernan. For wow. so And John Stapleton was my, was my stage manager. So we toured. I remember we did morning shows all over the country, uh, uh, Sligo, uh, Hawkswell, Bell Table, Limerick, uh, Sheem Satira, and it was my first kind of uh, public exposure, I suppose, to, to the business of theatre, getting paid, getting a per diem, uh, and hoping that I would not spend my per diem and save my wages. <laughs> So uh, and nothing changes. <laughs> I, you know, that was uh, you know, yeah, the theory of saving your wages and not spending it. So that that was my kind of. Um, and then after that, I uh, John got me a, a job working on uh, uh, the evening running of a, a play called Death of a Salesman with a very little known actor called Ray McAnally. Yes, now, I didn't do I didn't do the rehearsals, but I did I did the run, and then I did the revival of Philadelphia. Here I come. Uh, um, in the same season that Joe Dowling and then Joe uh, you know I, I got work with Joe and Joe in my final year in college which was 1988 Joe gave me a job as the first administrator of the Gaelic School of Acting Wow! so you know I was and, and Joe was one of my mentors and it's great you know Joe is back here now uh, directing um, The Dead for us at the moment so it's kind of a, a lovely completion of a circle since uh, since 1988 Wow what was the journey then to Project Art Centre because for so many, for generations, it has been arguably the most influential venue in the country in terms of you know new work and, and giving people their start. What what was your route to Project? Well, you mean because yeah, the Project Art Centre is the gateway. It's the kind of it's the kind of funnel by which artists kind of collide, make mistakes in public, take risks, forgiven, and all that. So, I mean, I was there for for seven years, ninety two to ninety nine. But before that, uh, I worked. I, I, I was an administrator for uh, for a couple of uh, what would now be called, you know, senior producer or line. But at the time, as administrator, and I worked for Michael Colgan, Morris Cassidy, and Joe Downing. They had a company together, 
which uh, produced commercial production of Plow the Stars and the Gaiety and Borsal Boy and the Gaiety. And I did that in 89. Uh, so I uh, worked with Neil Tobin and Donald McCann and all these amazing actors. And then Noel Pearson asked me to come and work with him as his assistant at the Abbey Theatre. Right. During one of the many crises. So Noel was <laughs> chairman of the Abbey at the time. Then uh, when Vincent Dowling was director and then Vincent Dowling got fired and uh, um, Noel took over as, as, as director of uh, and I was his assistant right at the time when My Left Foot was happening got, got the Oscars and so I learned the ropes here for two or three years and had a great time uh, uh, and learned just everything and then when Gary Hines came in she, Gary uh, you know, obviously decided to have her, uh, her own team there and yeah. then uh, went off and uh, so forth um, and then I just applied I had a choice I, 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 I applied to, be, uh, to the um, RTE radio producers course training course and uh, I became a qualified at the time radio producer but then the job of the Project Arts Centre came up and I applied for that and uh, I just didn't, you know I knew then and and from from your experience here, did you feel that that the project, in as kind of as diverse a role as it is there, because it's kind of multidisciplinary, was there something in that that appealed to you specifically about about taking on the project gig? Yeah, I mean, what the Project Art Centre gig did for me was it, I was able to. It was a couple of things, on a purely organisational level, I was able to learn. Uh, I mean, the great thing and the only thing that the Project Arts Centre should always be known for, no matter what role you have in the Project Arts is to be able to fail, take risks, and be forgiven. That's what the Project Arts Centre is there for. Always will be, always will be. So how you fail in producing, acting, how you <laughs> learn, how you, and that's the extraordinary gift of the Project Arts Centre, that it's, 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 it's within a kind of an ecosystem, and, and Willie, you know, did it as well, it's allowed people to, to fail in public, but in a context that is actually important. And I don't mean, you know, I, I, what I mean by fail is deliberately take risks. Yeah. So for me, it was about how to run an organisation. Okay, so I saw a slightly dysfunctional Abbey Theatre at the time, <laughs> and, my, and I felt I need to run an organisation to make my mistakes to see how it worked. And secondly, multidisciplinary, the fact that I was able to bring, bring, um, bring aboard my own uh, understanding of visual arts, uh, very strongly my passion for theatre, uh, my new love which is contemporary music, rock and roll and gigs we had in there all the time we had ash in there we had uh, you know curved dog in there uh, and also uh, contemporary dance you know yeah. and so uh, manage and try and, and, and kind of uh, look at program all this work definitely learn i mean really it was just a fantastic time for me just to learn uh, from different artists and different disciplines and to, and to develop all that so i was as, as interested in theater as i was in contemporary dance and it was a great time for me, it was almost like my PhD, right? Actually, yeah. Know, in, in in terms of understanding all the disciplines of the arts and all, and and, and uh, that, that was very very attractive. Are, as you look back on that time, are there things that you are particularly proud of? Are there things that you would like to have done differently? Well, I mean, I, I'm particularly proud of the fact that uh, you know we built a new building. All right. I mean, <laughs> all right uh, and we might come back to this uh, theme later on. And I'm uh, particularly proud that we that the Project Arts had owned its new building and that it uh, and that that it's it, it we got what we wanted. When I came in and I pointed in November 1992, I was told there'd be a new building built within two two years. 
It took us longer because we had to negotiate better. We had to make sure that the that the, the building was uh, was owned by by the people who ran the project. The architect was very very proud of that. I mean, very proud. Of that. So I was very proud of of a lot of the, of, of of growing up with a lot of artists like Marco Rowe, like Jimmy Fay, Annie Ryan, Gavin Quinn, David Bulger, John Scott. And whatever uh, happened to any of them? Jason Byrne. <laughs> uh, just a whole bunch that we did that, that, that we managed. And I, it was it was it was it was. I mean, I think every era. Mm. You, you'll see the emerging and you work with the emerging artists but also in the individual arts worked a lot a lot, lot of performance work did a lot of work did, did a couple of uh, you know did introduce a lot of queer art uh, you know became the, the I was I was I was proud to be asked to be to be the commissioner in the Venice and, and San Paolo Biennale in wow. 97 98 so and, and, and I suppose the ultimate thing is, is is the beginning of the foundation of the Dublin Dance Festival started in, with, with, with people like John Scott and, and we brought a lot of other work in from abroad, like Jonathan Burroughs and uh, and uh, and uh, other companies like that. So yeah, my legacy or my, my what I'm proud of is that that we worked with a lot of artists uh, in all disciplines, and then, and we watched them grow together. And then, of course. Oh yeah, I grew the project as you do. I think there was a moment you go, you know what? Uh, it's time to move on and time to do something else and so forth. You know? How vital is a relatively regular influx of new blood and new vision into a place like Project? particularly well, given its remit like very important i mean i think you know i was uh, 28 when i became director of the of the, of the project art center and so i left whatever in 99 so uh, you, you have an energy it's a kind of a mad place it's like a mad love affair you have with it, <laughs> and you consume it and you know i had a great team around me i mean that's what i learned about it that having a team around around me and i People like Jody Atkins, who who uh, became a programmer of uh, the World Music Festival out in out in Dunleary. She and Anne Marie Walsh used to program the the um, uh, uh, all the all the music, all the contemporary pop music, you know, con- uh, rock and roll music. I had somebody like Paul Johnson, who was the first ever choreographer in residence uh, in an organisation. He was choreographer in residence, and he he's now running Dance House and, and member of the Arts Council. So, uh, but there's a time you know we spend all that energy on very little money and very little budgets, and uh, but you know. Sh- the last couple of years was 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 about in moving from the project to project the mint. Yes, we set up the project the mint, which is a wonderful culture quarter. There was a tattoo artist. There was a fortune teller. <laughs> I remember it well. There was a fortune teller, and there was a project, and that was that was very very exciting. We also, do, we moved to Galway and did a, a big uh, work with Dorothy Cross uh, um, uh, in a handball alley. We did an opera in a handball alley and uh, and called Kiasm. And with, with major projections of 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 Paul from uh, the Iron Islands, we did this you know load of crazy brilliant work that in multidisciplinary work, and that was something that I was very proud of. But you know, after a while, you kind of write, you get exhausted, or it's time to move on. And I, so I do. So the answer to your question is yeah, it is a cycle. Uh, you give it everything, and then you move on. So the move from there, am I right in thinking that was into the more political end of things then? Uh, I, I mean, I left uh, Project Art Centre in November '99. It is no, uh, it is no, uh, what's the word, secret that I at that stage applied for director of the Abbey Theatre. Right. Uh, and I was unsuccessful. Didn't get it. So it was time, but it was also time to move on. And uh, I, I left. I gave the the board a, a year's notice, uh, and then I got work. Uh, I was appointed the. Um, cultural director of Expo 2000 so it was this big world trade fair in Hanover and I had a budget of 1.25 million to program 
work every day over over 180 days wow. uh, of, of the year 2000. So I moved into the kind of a different sphere when yeah. it was government level. I didn't plan it that way, Angus, and I think that's that's something I I, I didn't plan. So yeah, and, uh, so I, I had this great opportunity, and in the meantime. While I was at the project, I also started working uh, with Brother Films with my brother, and I did a, a couple of uh, uh, a couple of uh, short dramas with with uh, the great Paul Mercier as well. Talk to me a bit about your work with Brother Films, um, about the kind of the, the impulse to set it up, and also the differences between working in that medium versus theatre. Well, I mean, it's just a different uh, it's a different energy and a different pace, uh, and uh, it takes longer. So, but but I. I wanted to work with Paul Mercier. I think Paul Mercier is, is an extraordinary artist and somebody that, that I, I, I admire. And uh, we saw an ad for, um, uh, you know, one of these shortcuts, you know, the Irish Film Board, RTE, uh, uh, sponsored, uh, you know, short films. And uh, we asked Paul to write a, a short film. And, he wrote, and so Kuan, my brother and I, we set up this company, Brother Films. We nearly got sued by Brother uh, sewing machines, except uh, because <laughs> of, of trademark. <laughs> That's amazing. But we uh, we happen to be brothers, so uh, they they couldn't sue us for the fact that we were actually brothers. <laughs> and Koan is a trained, great guy, trained editor, trained at the BBC as a, as a film editor, one of the last film editors to be um, trained on film. Right. Okay. You know, on Steenbeck. Uh, and he came back from, from from London and was here and set up his own company, He's doing quite a successful work himself. So we set up this company to, to just work with with Paul and other artists that, that we, we, we so we did about three short uh, films with Paul uh, before I sleep with Brendan Gleeson about a recession, which funny enough is is back again. But it was a beautiful elegiac film, and then we did um, two other uh, uh, short films, uh, Tupperware and Lip Service. One on the on the uh, leaving search, which everyone has seen, yeah, and no, everyone <laughs> loves, and I think has like Philly McMahon and a few other people in it as well. Yeah, a lot of people, and it's got Barry Ward in it, it's Philly McMahon, Sean McGinley's playing the kicker as well. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a it ended up being being used by a lot of teachers. But that is so, I tell you that is one in terms of zeitgeist stuff that is deeply etched in the brains of everyone of a particular generation, myself included. That movie is absolutely ingrained in there. Yeah, I know it was. We we're very pleased with it, and again, it was the genius of Paul that came up with this idea that of the most bizarre day is the oral Irish exam day. <laughs> a day where the la the least thing you're 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 examined on is communication. It's actually a memory test and can you get out of it and can you can you work it out and, and uh, it was a very funny, very funny film and we, we shot it over five days in uh, in the school that Paul and Roddy taught in wow. uh, out in uh, Colester, which is no longer yeah. no longer school anymore actually. Um, and Barry Ward is in it's, it's a beautiful film and that's just you know that won major that won awards in, in the Cork Film Festival uh, it got a, a commercial release as, as, a, as, a, as a support for uh, for I think Sweet Home of Alabama I think I can't remember what it yeah. and it just, just got like you know it was in, seen in 20 cinemas across the country that's and all amazing. that so we're very very proud of that and uh, uh, and uh, then we eventually uh, in uh, 2005 we did Studs Was that a very different kind of an adventure I mean Studs was that just in terms of moving from short films up to, up to the full uh, feature yeah. 
it was it was it was it was both a, a, a fulfilling and a heartbreaking scenario right it was fulfilling in that in that we wanted to make this film about football which we loved so much all of us you know uh, you're i know you're a sports fan so but paul and i and kuan we wanted to make this this movie with brendan gleason based on the short on, on uh, based on the play and we just loved every minute and we did it for half nothing um we uh, we kind of cobbled together uh, we, we a lot of the act all the actors and all the crew did it for you know uh, for a cut rate and right. uh, we raised the money and we got some private funding as well and uh, uh, and nobody came to see it right so that was a heartbreak and is it, is it just that tough without the might of the big studios and Hollywood stuff is it, is it tough to get Irish people out to support Irish movies well I mean I, I, it is and it isn't you know I just nobody came to see studs you know right. and that was a tough one for us uh, it, it went straight on to the it went straight on to uh, illegal DVDs I remember uh, Brennan Gleeson telling a story it was Ben somebody was telling me a story that he was in a taxi and, his, and he says uh, uh, he says well, what are you doing oh I just finished uh, I just studs going to be out oh yeah I saw that was already it was already copied. already being bootlegged. Yeah, bootlegged. Yeah. Wow. But anyway, it, it was a it was a, for us. It was a, I have a great sense of pride in it. It, it took me it took me quite. I had lost some money in it, so we had to pay yeah. back money. But it was you know I still feel very very proud of it, and I felt very proud that uh, Kua and I and Paul you know produced our, our first feature. It won't be the last feature, but we learned a lot from it. So then, I'm interested in the political end of things because am I right in thinking at one stage you were a member of the Labour Party? You were then an advisor to a Fianna Fáil minister and are currently a Fine Gael Taoiseach's appointee to the Senate. Now, if that's not the most politically adept move I've ever heard, I don't know. Am I, am I right in those details vaguely? Uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a gap of about 20 years in this <laughs> okay. sequencing, all right? So I was, I was a member of the Labour Party in, in, when I was in school, right. fifth year and sixth year. And uh, and uh, I was uh, also taught at the time by Tony Gregory, who had a big influence on me. Right. Uh, Tony Gregory uh, taught me uh, um, history for six years, so I had a very, a very, you know, I developed, a, you know, a, probably a social justice conscience or a social justice interest from 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 uh, Tony. But yeah, I was a member of the Labour Party, and I stayed in the Labour Party up to until I left college. Right. You know? So and it wasn't so that so that that was a big gap. Then. Um, after uh, I did Expo 2000, I worked on setting up uh, the, uh, the Irish College in Paris. Uh, so that was, again, I worked for the Department of Foreign Affairs there. I worked for the Department of OPW in opening up Farmley. My job was to open, make that happen and open wow. it up. Uh, then, uh, then I ended up working, uh, uh, I was then, when John O'Donnell became Minister for Arts, um, he asked, if, uh, he invited me to become his advisor. Um, and... Uh, I told him, look, I'm not Fianna Fáil. Right. He says, yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, we struck up, I think, a very good relationship. And I worked with him for over three three or four budgets. Um, and uh, at the same time, I was, I was uh, uh, working with, um, uh, working on studs. Uh, I worked on a couple of, another short Tupperware. And I produced, co-produced with the Abbey Ariel by uh, Marina Carr. That so was a really interesting, because I remember seeing that on posters at the time. I think... I might still have been in drama school or not long out of drama school at that stage. And I was wondering how, because in my mind, the Abbey and co-productions didn't really work. How did that whole thing come about? Well, I commi- I commissioned Marina. Right. Uh, separate. I commissioned her when I was director of the Project Arts Centre to write this play. And then the project couldn't do it, uh, couldn't afford it. So then I paid Project Arts Centre I took the rights, right? Okay. And I've developed it, and I pitched it at Ben Barnes here, and he accepted it, and we did Colin Morrison, so we did that as well. So, 
I had lots of you know so I so I was working both for the you know the you know for the for theater and for for governments right um talk to me then a bit uh, jumping forward a bit chronologically uh the phone call from Antishak was it as was it a surprise to you was it something you had any inclination of whatsoever no I mean I I met <coughs> I met uh, Antishak I met Andy Kenny uh on Patrick's day um, after he was uh, after he was uh, won the election and was 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 uh, was elected Taoiseach, uh, I met him in the White House because I was I was uh, I was there I was I was lucky enough to be invited uh, to the White House on Patrick's Day uh, two years or two years ago and it's a great honor and uh, and I bumped into him but we, we I wouldn't say we knew each other you know right. and uh, it was kind of a poignant and in a way I think it was a bit of karma involved Angus because. Uh, yeah, I went. I, it was the day that uh, Tomás Bacana was buried. Right. And I was at the funeral, and I was at the grave, uh, and I uh, drove home to change for my clothes into into you know civvies, and I got the bus into town, and I was on top of the bus, and uh, the phone rang, and it was a private number, uh, you know, and, uh, and I didn't take it. <laughs> Just like my wife. Yeah, I don't take. I don't. You know, for you know, for anybody, I just don't take private numbers. You know, and um, then I was walking. Then I got so, but I got off the bus uh, in Christchurch and I walked down, not very far from the Irish Theatre Institute. I walked down, I walked down, and I said, "I better check my message." And it was the Taoiseach <laughs> who left me a message. Shohei ended, Kurgan Parashram. And uh, now, at that stage, is the first thought in your head this has to be Don Witcherly doing a voice and winding me up? Or uh, <laughs> no, I don't think the uh, no, <laughs> yeah. But it was it was kind of so I didn't know what what he was ringing me for, yeah. you know. So I rang him back, and uh, he said uh, he'd like to appoint me to uh, Senate, and, and um, I took that as a great honour. I said to him, look, I, I'm not going to join Fine Gael. Right. So for the record, <laughs> right, uh, I'd like to remain independent and, and I also want to stay in my job as, as director of the Abbey Theatre. Is that, is that a, a problem? And uh, he said no. And, uh, I, and uh, that's what happened. Wow. It's, uh, it's amazing. Obviously, the echoes with history of the last senator who was also, you know, running this place. There are those echoes Except there. he won a Nobel Prize. A Nobel Prize. Only a matter of time. <laughs> Only a matter of time. Shouldn't we all win one now that we're members of the EU? So you're grand. You've done the triple threat. It's fine. Um, so, so, I mean, in terms of even just for us as a theatre community in general, to have so strong an advocate right at the heart of policy making is something that I think everyone is, is delighted about. Is that something that weighs on your shoulders or can you only do what you can do in terms of the day-to-day -day running of the place? Well, you know, I, I think if I was to say anything, I think it is really, really important that the, uh, the artistic community uh, in Ireland steps up and advocates for its very presence and, and, and that the arts are centralised as a part of. And there was a real groundswell of that when the National Campaign for the Arts was, yeah. was, and I was very proud to be to be part of a part of the beginnings of that. And so, when you I know one of your, I think one of your first interviews, maybe all those fifty-two weeks ago, Peter Daly. Yes, the wonderful Peter Daly. He's an example of that. Um, and I think there was there, there was a there's a great sense, and I think we we cannot be complacent. You know, at the moment there's a big struggle on uh, to keep. And maintain the independence of the National Library and the National Museum and Culture Ireland. And you might say, Angus, why the hell am I bothered with that? Because if we don't deal with that, the Arts Council is next. And I think one of our greatest challenges is to 
become more politicized. Not necessarily our work, yeah. not the work we put on stage, but as citizens. I mean, look what's happening in Scotland at the moment. Like there's about a hundred there's about a hundred artists who signed a letter. Yeah. You know, I can't that imagine that happening as easily in Ireland. There isn't we're not as uh, politicized. I am. I'm interested in politics. The reason I wanted to have an influence in society or how I could have an influence is through the arts. Mm. I, my view is that I can, you know, not so much change society but influence and help influence what's happening through the arts, through what we put on. And then I have a separate role as a citizen and I think my, my responsibility as a senator is to, to, to increase those connections uh, and narrow the gap between the artistic community, the arts community, and the political uh, community, and that, and I see that in my role. I see it as a great honour. As you know, I give my salary away, um, and I and I give some of it to the national campaign and, and other other uh, arts organisations. But and I would do, I be, I would be a senator for nothing, yeah. because I do consider it a huge honour that Antisha has bestowed on me, and I consider it to be an honour. And yet, I have also these responsibilities to try and continually, you know, uh, be be you know uh, to activate or to be kind of active in. Uh, making sure the arts are seen as a central part of what we are. At, on a practical level, day to day, how difficult to juggle is it for you? Because I mean, they're they're two pretty full time gigs. Well, this is certainly a very full time gig here. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does help that I believe in what I'm doing. Okay, right. in any job you do, and looking is you know you've done fifty two of these in a row, right? <laughs> so yes, indeed. You know, what you what drives somebody is, I mean, that's what's great about any work you do is yeah. that if, if there's something that you absolutely com- you know you, you do kind of you know no, and I have a family who who kind of, you know, can, can drag me back when it's important that, I, that my balance is right. So in terms of work life and all that. But when it comes to um, the Shannon and when it comes to the Epitheater, it's not, the Shannon's not full time. I, I, I've decided that there are four or five issues that I care about that I can, will spend my time on. So there might be like one week I might only be in the Shannon for a morning, the following week, two and a half days. Yeah. It's never full t- time in the sense, and it shouldn't be full time. The Shannon's there for other voices, for civil society to be there. And I look at that. I'm not a politician. I do consider myself a parliamentarian, a parliamentarian which basically I have to support legislation, help legislation, but I, and I do see areas that I can contribute to. So the balance is okay. I'm fish, I keep myself, you know, I do, I'm not in Lanigan's. You know, yes. <laughs> uh, which which allows me just to, and I have to mind myself that way. But but you know, I have a very very good team around me at the Epic Theatre, and I have good support in in, uh, in the Shannon as well. So it, it keeps me going. Let's talk about taking on the Ag- Abbey gig at what was, to be fair, a pretty tempestuous time. I don't know that it's any great secret that I wouldn't be the greatest fan of Ben Barnes in the world um, from my time working here with him. But that's a, a side issue. What was it like for you coming on board here, particularly at that time? Um, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's seven and a half years ago. So uh, I applied for the job. Uh, you know, it was no secret that I wanted this job, um, and my my sense of the job was that this play that uh, the, the Abbey Theatre was broken in a lot of ways that it needed to 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 to, to reorganize. But I didn't reorganize itself. But I didn't know how. I suppose you know how uh, fatal yeah uh, some of the issues were. Um, and I have to say as well that, that you know all the staff that were there at the time seven and a half years ago were all absolutely passionate and loyal to the Abbey Theatre but I also knew as, as the crisis emerged and there was a crisis in terms of in my view not only a financial crisis there was a corporate governance crisis uh, there was a uh, I think an artistic crisis uh, and there was you know a severe lack of plays that, that were of interest uh, to me there as well so I 
so you know it was tough and uh, and I remember the first you know I was meant to be director designate so I started on the 1st of May 2005 and I was meant to become director on the 1st of January 2006 so I was meant to have a this period of time but within essentially within two months I became the, I became the director so I had to do a massive change management program to use that word but essentially I had to reorganize the Abbey from within changes uh, and, and at the same time program work you know so yeah. uh, it was it was it was tough when you when you're trying to go on holidays and then you hear Charlie Bird on the radio uh, you know talking about you know uh, you know the crisis of the Abbey and he's meant to be going on holidays and he shouldn't you know and there was <laughs> leaks from the board there was people running for cover uh, there was contagion uh, and there was a severe amount of deficit you know yeah. and you know it, it was very and, and I have to say I felt you know I was definitely alone Right. right. So there's a feeling I remember sitting in my office going, okay, like I'm on my own here. Wow. Right. There's nobody, you know, you know, how, how did, you know, and I had to change. I had to, I had to change. I, I couldn't be, I couldn't become one of the lads. Yeah. Uh, but I had to, and it was a, it was an amazing, tough experience, you know, uh, but, you know, kind of, you had to be ruthless as well to a certain point in that if you believed, as I do, and I know you do too, if you believe uh, the Abbey Theatre is there as a national theatre and what it should do, you know, God, there's nothing better than when you have that vision. You know, and you know, I have a huge respect for the staff that are working here now and the team we have and what we're doing. And, you know, at the moment today, for instance, as I talked to you, we have 64 actors working for the Abbey Theatre across five productions. You know, we're in Tralee uh, tonight, uh, we have two plays in produ production on our stages and we have two plays in rehearsals and we're about to go into rehearsals with another play, a Shakespearean play in, uh, in December. So, you know, that's how far we've come, you know, and, uh, uh, and that we can do this and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, so I have to say it was, it was a, a personal and professional, the greatest personal and professional challenge I've ever, I've ever had yeah. uh, in, the, in the, that first two years. And I wasn't necessarily getting, nor was I looking for, getting necessarily the sympathy from, from people because, you know, obviously people expect change very fast. Sure. It says, okay, if you, you know, get this done in a, in a year time, but you know, change takes time. Absolutely. In an organisation like this, absolutely. absolutely. But, but you, you want to do the change properly so that it's sustainable, so that it can actually survive, so that actually you can start producing what, what, what you think is the right thing to do. I had a posh question lined up about uh, what you see the role of the Abbey in, in terms of Irish cultural life in the 21st century. And my question was going to be, is it about um, you know, bringing in the best expertise from, from the theatre world globally? And isn't that exactly what you're doing with Neil Bartlett downstairs in the main stage? And then I thought, well, maybe it's about, you know, promoting uh, young and emerging and exciting Irish writers. And isn't that what you're doing downstairs in the Peacock? Or is it about reinvestigating the canon and kind of that, that you know, lineage that we have to draw on? And isn't that what you're doing tonight in Tralee with Plough? And I thought, so it kind of answered my own question. I mean, what do you see as, uh, as the most important elements of the Abbey's role? Great question. Uh, I, 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 there's a kind of a series of knock-on, uh, you know, for one of a nerd policies are, are that, that 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 you need to fulfil. You know, now the fact is, uh, it costs a lot of money to run the Abbey Theatre. Okay, if I was to do everything I wanted to do, right, I would need fourteen million. Okay, right. not all from the state, but yeah. half from the state, the rest of it. So you know, so uh, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, God, if you're getting seven million, what can you do for seven million? You know, what can you do for everyone? You know, we, you know, we expect the best people to work at the Abbey Theatre. We expect high standards, and uh, and we do in all areas, 
from directors, actors, writers, uh, you know, we have a full-time, one of the first things they did was establish a full-time literary department, which has a proper uh, literary development program, a proper commissioning process, but also public to, uh, public, uh, a play development program in a way, a new playwrights program. So, you know, there's investing, uh, and what I learned from the Project Arts Centre, Angus, was that, you know, I see absolutely my role as bedding down this organisation so that my successor can actually reap the awards. I absolutely see that. In a lot of ways, what Richard Eyre did at the National, where the benefits of it came from not only Trevor, but further from, from, from Nick Hanker, that once you get the systems in place and once you get the, the juices flowing, that, that, you know, I, I, I mean, I want to be able to come back to the Abbey in 20 years' time and go, you know what, it's dead. In the same way that the Project Arts Centre is yeah. thriving. And I, those that, I'm a great believer in the continuum. I'm a great believer that, that, that my role there is a part of a continuum. It goes back to Yates and will continue for the next. So our job is to reflect and engage our society. That's what we do. And we do that by all the things you just said there. We do it by new writing. We do it by, by casting uh, and working with the best of Irish actors, but also challenging these Irish actors by bringing in maybe international directors. Because I know from talking to actors that actors like to work with the, with the, with the international directors. Uh, it challenges them, it raises the bar a little bit, or they can see, all right, okay, there's a different way of working that. Um, I, 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 very important to, to reinvestigate a canon, to get a young artist like Wayne Jordan to approach Clown the Stars, you know? So it's mixing all that and absolutely giving uh, what I consider, and again, it's subjective, but theatre artists that I consider to be ready to, to work at the Abbey Theatre. The controversial thing is not everybody has a right to work at the Abbey Theatre, okay? Okay. The second thing is that not everybody will work at the Abbey Theatre, and, yeah, and, and yet everybody should aspire to it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's, that's a different, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, for all those 64 actors that are working with me at the moment, right, there's another 64 that are probably giving out that are not working. Yeah. So I'm so so my role as director of the Abbey Theatre, on is not necessarily about keeping people happy because ain't gonna do that. Like you know, Alex Ferguson doesn't keep people happy, right? Uh, 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 but actually, to so try and get the best, but also choice. Yeah. Entertaining and choice, so that somebody can come to the, uh, you know, for instance. In middle of December, you can co- you have a choice. You can come to the Abbey Theatre and see the dead. By James Joyce in a, in a, in an adaptation by Frank McGuinness, directed by George Orwell, <laughs> or you can see quietly, yeah. which I think is probably one of the most profound plays to come out of uh, out of Belfast in a long time. It's a, a play about a peace and reconciliation, but it's a play about extraordinary things and to see two of the giant actors who have never worked together uh, uh, in uh, Deccan Connell and Paddy O'Kane uh, and then having Robert Zawalski behind, who's who's making yeah. his debut, and it's interesting because we have two. For the first time, the Abbey has two Polish actors working back to back. As wow. we have uh, Alicia in in, in Shibari. That's an yeah, interesting long answer. To no, that's yeah. okay. It's because just with the launch of uh, the new digitizing the archive project of the day, a stat came up that said in the one hundred and odd year history of the Abbey, there's been something like three thousand nine hundred Abbey actors as such in terms of people who've tread the boards here. And so I did the sums on it, and because the, the modern Olympic Games is roughly about the same length of time, <laughs> you are 50% more likely to have won an Olympic gold medal than set foot on the Abbey stage. So that is something I'm intensely proud of. Wow. That's not bad going. Wow. Yeah, we shake hands on that one. So look, okay, you know I am that proud of the Abbey. It, as I have said before, it is not an exaggeration to say without the Abbey Theatre, I wouldn't be here today. And I don't mean sitting in your office interviewing you. I mean, I wouldn't be here. My grandparents met on the Abbey stage. My parents met on the Peacock stage. Without <laughs> it, I wouldn't be here. Uh, and so everything about this place I adore, 
but like anyone you love, there are issues and there are problems. So briefly, allow me to assume the mantle of Angus, not in professional interviewer mode, but Angus in Lanigan's on a Friday after rehearsals and the bitching session. Um, if the Abbey Theatre is taking in seven million in, in government funding, uh, which is a little over 50% of the entire national budget, in terms of the overall ecology of Irish theatre, how sustainable is that? Well, good question. And um, <clears throat> so, so if you start on the narrative, is there a need for the Abbey Theatre to exist in the first place? Okay. Uh, and is there a need for a national theatre is a very interesting discussion, a very interesting debate. Okay. Now, if there is, and if there's a need for a national theatre to engage and reflect what's happening in, in Ireland, to continue a national conversation, to encourage uh, all the things that we've just spoken about, then there's a price for that. Okay? Yes. Now, I'm not talking about uh, this in opposition to the, the independent theatre, but say there's a price. For the Abbey Theatre, and the Abbey Theatre have to, should be doing uh, six plays in the Abbey stage, six plays in the Peacock stage, we should be doing a national tour in the spring, a national tour in the autumn. We should have a full-time literary department, a full-time community and education project, uh, and myriad of other stuff. Yeah. The rough cost of that is fourteen million, right? Okay. Right. Uh, of which you know we would be looking for half that from the state. The rest we would get from box office, about three million from box office. The rest we'd raise privately. Okay. And if we believe that that's that's what we should be doing, and if we believe all that then the next thing is how to fund that, okay? Yeah. Now, in the past, the Arts Council, uh, uh, you know, would have would uh, would be, I think, open to a lot of uh, political lobbying from the rest of the community, quite rightly. So the Abbey's getting all that, what are we getting, okay? <clears throat> and that has put the Abbey often in an opposition to Druid, North Magic, the independent theatre community, uh, um, and I think that's unhealthy, all right? Okay. Now, uh, I think... Uh, the problem we had, the the Abbey had in the past was that it was always being chipped away, and one of the issues it had before uh, two thousand and five was that it had very little funding, it had five million, and, uh, you know, five six million funding, and yet it, it, it had a deficit because it was put under pressure to achieve as much as possible can for the least amount of money. Okay, now you were you know people worked here in the past. This is a happy place to work in my view. You know, of course, it's challenging, it's creative, uh, but I know how much it costs to run this place, right? And I won't do more for less. Right. right. I just can't because what will happen is the Abbey will break. Nobody, the taxpayer, and nobody's going to forgive me for uh, losing money. Right. right. Now, somebody might call that cautious. Somebody might call that pragmatic. But at the same time, I will take the risks. But I will hedge my risks. Okay. So, um, for the Abbey Theatre to, to to survive, obviously, it needs to, to develop all kinds of income streams, private, public, all that. Okay. But it shouldn't do it in opposition to. Uh, to the, other, the rest of the community, okay? Uh, and the Arts Council, uh, you know, has now, has begun now to acknowledge that the Abbey Theatre is an important part of the uh, of the theatre ecosystem. This kind of duality or this opposition between us and, now, of course, money ends up muddying all the yes, kind of, of course. Of course. But I can't apologise for that. I can't apologise that I'm not paying 64 actors a decent wage, maybe not the best wage, but a decent wage, and that we can cross subsidise a lot of the theatre community. Mm. I can't apologise for paying um, theatre artists, writers, directors, designers the best fees 
uh, in either Ireland or in England or Scotland, and, and we do that. I'm very proud yeah. of that, you know. And of course, it needs it needs a machine, you know, for us to do uh, the picture drawing grey, for us to do the dead. We need, you know, we need, you know, we paid the best. We need, we have the best sets, and we have to push the marketing. So we have a team. But I, I know, I, and it's slim enough. And I know people say, God, there's so many people working at the Abbey Theatre. Well, I don't think there's enough people working at the Abbey Theatre. Really? I think for me to achieve what I need to do, I've proven in the last. So what what has happened is the Abbey, you know, the, the Abbey has survived, and they'll be, and quite rightly, Angus, there won't be much, uh, there won't be much within the theatre community. There won't be much of a uh, sympathy for the Abbey. Right. Uh, which is fair enough. Uh, and at the same time, the connection, if the Abbey wasn't there, what would happen? What if a certain actor doesn't get his, his or her you know, show at the Abbey for 10 weeks yeah. uh, and then being able to go out and work? What would happen there? I think the Abbey would be the poor for it and so would the company be poor for it. So th- that's an important thing. I mean, Annabelle Cummins, an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, director, but you know, who would have been able to give her a Pygmalion in the house to develop a set of skills, you know, yeah. And uh, you know, same with Wayne Jordan, same with Jason. All these, uh, all these directors, Jimmy Fay, all these people that that I admire and watch and challenge. You know, so I get a great kick out of that. So it's an important part of the episode, and I came out of that. You know, yeah. I'm the the first director of the Abbey Theatre to have come out of the independent theatre sector. Okay, uh, and so so I I I understand that, and I understand, and it's kind of extraordinary thing that um. I think what Finton is trying to do, and he did it in one of his articles about a month ago, is trying to almost pit us against against each other. You know, yeah. he spoke about hierarchical funding. Now there is hierarchical funding, right? There is the big five. However, I think we are we are much more horizontal in terms of our our, our artistic relationship. You know, directors come in here and go out again. Yeah. Designers, Paula Mahoney, Alison Common come in, they go out again. Same with the actors. That's the way it should be. It's much more. We pay better because we're the National Theatre and we should be paying better. Yeah. We should be. And um, there is a, a cross-pollination effect then? Oh, I think there is. And I think, I think it's right that, that when an actor or a, an artist comes and works here, that they will be supported in the best possible way. And that costs money and I'm proud of that. Uh, two br- more brief ones then. Go for it. Uh, justification with that enormous Abbey budget that everyone bitches about, uh, that the Peacock has been as dark as it has recently, and also then the actor's favourite one in Lanigan's, um, how dare they have such a massive top corridor of administrators and bureaucracy, and yet the idea of returning to a permanent company of actors is completely out the window? Well, just on the, on, on the, on the Peacock, uh, I, th- my role in the Peacock is to make sure that we do as many of our productions as we possibly can, and I can't afford to do five or six productions a year uh, in, the, in the Peacock, on, on, uh, and I would hope I'll get to do that. The... Um, the the challenge of the Peacock as well is that you know the the Abbey reduced or got a reduction in, in, in its funding of the Arts Council. For me. And again, this is not about sympathy. This is about explaining to you what happened. We went from ten million right down to seven point one million in two and a half years. So I've kept a, a surplus of the Abbey to try and, and keep us alive. You know, yeah. uh, so I so for instance last year we've done uh, we did three new plays. I mean one of the one of the, 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 the historical things we've done is is uh, which should be celebrated and then dropped is that the Abbey Theatre has, has done, produced in a row consecutively four uh, new Irish plays by Irish women writers. Marina Carr, Carmel Winters, Stacey Gregg and Nancy Harris. Never in the history of Irish theatre, never mind the history of the Abbey Theatre, has, has that kind of amount of plays been done in such a short time. Yeah. By, so um, what I do as well is I invite companies in, like Druid, uh, which is very, very important, they came in with, with the new electric ballroom 
uh, and if I, I heart us, heart I in, I'm a little gem, and there'll be a couple of other companies there too. So I try and get that balance right, but it costs us money to, yeah. to, to bring them in. And my ambition is to keep the peacock full and packed with work. Um, and I want that to be obviously new Irish plays by, 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 by our Abbey commissioned writers. And I also want to invite companies in that I think are interesting or the work I think that's interesting. But uh, yes, it, it, it's not great that sometimes the Abbey's closed, that the Peacock estate is closed, but I would rather keep it closed uh, without putting work in it that I'm not happy with either. Okay. And so that's the controversial bit. I was going to say, so, so you're suggesting my one-man Hamlet won't be going in next season. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. We can discuss it afterwards. Um, the issue of a permanent company of actors, will it ever happen again? I don't think a permanent company, but I think yeah, a temporary company will. I mean, I love Derek Crotty's, uh, love her description that there's a virtual company of actors in this town. Absolutely. You know? A lot of them work. And, and uh, I mean, I have to say, there's a difficulty. Uh, a lot of actors won't commit for a long period of time. So uh, a lot of actors, when you offer them to, and they actually won't go, well, look, I take that role and I take a smaller role. There is a, there is a kind of an inconsistency there. My dream is to have a company of actors on a kind of rolling basis for 24 months where they do, where they do work on the Abbey Station, the Peak Station. That is absolutely my dream. Uh, and, and it's something very, very important. Uh, but there isn't a lot of people working in the top corridor. Uh, either. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I know how to run an Abbey, uh, how to run the Abbey Theatre, and uh, my job is to make sure there's as many people as possible come to see as many shows as possible, uh, and to give value to to to, uh, to the taxpayer who's funding it. And uh, so far, I'm doing that. Finally, then, um, in terms of ambitions for you, both within your term here at the Abbey, uh, and also for you possibly outside of the Abbey, if that day ever comes, um, are, what what are the main things on your agenda? He said, looking out the window across to Eden Key. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I have to say, you know, I'm nearly eight years in the job at the Abbey Theatre, and I love every minute. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of running a national cultural institution. Uh, I'm very proud of the fact that we've got a. Uh, uh, new, new work I can, I, like for instance next year uh, I won't tell you what it is but next year we'll have you know two new plays on the Abbey stage by two writers that never had work on the Abbey stage before okay now that's your exclusive right excellent I like but it I'm very very proud of that that took seven years to do that yeah right but we're ready for it now uh, and I've, I've at least another, you know, I, the, I've at least an, until the end of 2016 when I'm here. So I'll be here at least at the end of 2016, which allows me, you know, to build up. Uh, and, and, and we are under severe pressure in the arts at the moment in terms of funding, right? And no doubt the Arts Council will cut us all again, including the Abbey Theatre again. So my responsibility is to try and raise money, mm-hmm. in, in, in both through the box office, but also through, uh, through other, other, uh, other means, private means. So that's a big challenge for all of us, you know? Uh, and we all have to kind of uh, support each other there, and that could uh, mean less work. I mean, will I have 64 actors working for me this time next year? You know, yeah. that's that's the cha- that's the challenge. I don't know if I will or not. That depends on how how funding goes, and that's that's all our all our challenge. So my my, my my ambition is to continue to do what we do really well. Uh, there's a huge uh, body of new Irish plays coming up, and uh, you know, exciting theatre artists again, like uh, you know that I, that I'd be working with that I, that I look forward to, uh, and to continue to sustain that. You know, uh, build up the community and education department. Phil Kinks has just started with us, yeah. and we're very pleased there. Um, so yeah, continue as, as, as we're doing but uh, and keep making it better. Excellent stuff. I'm delighted, absolutely delighted. No no more appropriate way to finish up this series. It is an absolute pleasure having you on, Fiat. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ingus. Come on, Agat. So there you have it. The great Fiat McAneil. So grateful that he was able to take a bit of time out of his busy schedule to, to do the podcast with us, sit down with us. Uh, and a guy who uh, I've got an awful lot of time for. I'm just so glad we have someone like him 
at the heart of the debate, championing the cause of Irish theatre and Irish arts. Uh, I, I really genuinely don't think we could ask for anyone better to be in that position. And I think we're all very, very lucky to have him. So, look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup. Um, as we look around Dublin, the Abbey Theatre has the picture of Dorian Gray featuring the great Mike Sheehan. Um, and downstairs in the Peacock, they have the final few shows of Shibari by Gary Duggan. Uh, those shows will be followed by The Dead upstairs, which Joe Dowling has come back to direct, which is really exciting. Uh, and also quite by Owen McCafferty, a new play starring the brilliant Declan Conlon. Um, Project Art Centre has Ulysses from uh, the Tron in Glasgow, where, of course, we took uh, Fight Night earlier in the year with the great Mike Sheehan. Um, the Gate Theatre has The Last Summer. Um, the Civic has Ride On from the brilliant Live and Dread. Uh, the New Theatre has a very interesting thing coming up of a kind of new writing week, and uh, one of the really exciting ones there is uh, Ulverton by Stuart Roach. Uh, Stuart, who, as you all know, is an exceptional actor, and, uh, and I'm only sure will be an amazing writer too so I'm really looking forward to try and catch that um, the Viking Theatre has the All Conquering Tuesdays with Murray back with them at the moment um, Theatre Upstairs has a little show called Fight Night that you might like to come and check out any lunchtime until Saturday uh, and that'll be followed by a new play by the brilliant Donal Kelly. that's Alalu Fanula um, which will be very interesting and well worth looking at uh, Bewley's of course still has Down by the River with the brilliant Michael Bates and, uh, and Stoker from Ouroboros is at the Beckett Centre in Trinity College. Um, Smock Alley has the Scarlet WW. W Web kind of thing. I don't know how to pronounce that one, but there you go. Uh, that's from Big Telly. Uh, and that'll be followed later in the month by the good folks at Malin Productions and their upcoming production of The Dead Woman's Son. Um, as we look around the country then, over to Limerick, the great Phoebean are, are bringing Untreal to the bell table, um, which I think will be great. Uh, and also up north in Belfast, the Grand Opera House has Paisley and Me, directed by the wonderful Matt Torney. Um, and the Lyric has Lynn Parker's production of the Scottish play with Andrea Irvine and the brilliant Eleanor Methven which I'm going to get up to immediately, if not sooner. Um, so, look, that's all the business out of the way. Um, I have been thinking for a long time now about how I'd eventually wrap this all up, and I've been kind of toying around with big speeches in my head, but you know what? The conversations speak for themselves. I don't need to say any more. Um, we've achieved what we set out to do. We've chronicled a year in the life of Irish theatre. We've created what I consider to be a pretty special archive and snapshot of what Irish theatre was like at this particular time. Um, we've helped put a few more bums on seats in theatres across the country. And we've left behind a, a time capsule for future generations, or even just for ourselves to look back on 20 years from now when we're all washed up. Um, so... All that's left for me to say is thank you. Thanks to you, the listeners, for making it such a success. Um, thanks to everybody who got in touch with us to tell us how much it meant to them, and particularly those people in the business, actors and whatever else, that are now scattered around the world, because I know it's served as a connection back to the business here and has helped people feel you know, a little closer to home, maybe. Um, and most importantly, thanks to each of our guests, uh, because without them, we just wouldn't have had the show. So... Uh, you know, thank you to Peter Daly, to Philly McMahon, to Aoife Spillane Hinks, to Paul Reed, to Jose Miguel Jimenez, to Rory Nolan, to Paul Keoghan, Aidan Kelly, Kathy Belton, Grace Dias and Shane Byrne of Theatre Club, Joe Mangan, Kean O'Brien, Adam Fergus, Carl Shields, Keith Hanna, John Olihan, Peter Crawley, Rory Keenan, Tara Furlong, Judith Roddy, Ronnie Masterson, Alan Stanford, Brian Burroughs, John Morton, Pat Kiernan, Frank Laverty, Andrea Ainsworth, David Parnell, Amy Conroy, 
Louise Lowe, Megan Reardon, Lynn Parker, Declan Conlon, Dara Kelly, Eleanor Methvin, Owen Rowe, Alan Smith, Gary Duggan, David Horan, Annie Ryan, Jane Brennan, Anne Clark, Gavin Costick, Tom Creed, Rosha Gowan, Jimmy Fay, Aaron Monaghan, Jonathan Shanky, Willie White, Marco Rowe, and Fiat McAneel. Thank you guys. Without you, the show wouldn't have existed. So that's us. That's episode 52 and this year-long project in the books. We will, of course, not be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. So, for one last time, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you at the theatre. <laughs>